Great job, everybody. If you have your Bible, please open to the book of Matthew, chapter 2. Matthew, chapter 2. The title of the message is A Word to the Wise. So we begin to ponder upon how can we be men and women who are wise. There's a saying that goes, a baby changes everything. And anybody in this room who's ever brought a baby home realizes how true that statement actually is. There's a time in life to where the world revolves around watches and appointments. But when a baby comes home, it revolves around bottles and nap time. I remember it was November 2009, late one evening, Brittany took a test that changed our life. Found out that she was pregnant, and the next week, we found ourselves in a doctor's office, and there was a woman, and she was holding a device up to Brittany's stomach, and we were chatting and uh, just having a good time, and all of a sudden, the woman's demeanor changed. And I got anxious, and the the room was silent, and I looked at Brittany, and she was anxious. And finally, I couldn't take it any longer, and I said, ma'am, is there something wrong? She looked up, and she smiled, and she said, well, I need to go get the doctor. I'll be right back. And so she slipped out of the room for what was probably only three or four minutes, but it felt like years as we sat in that room waiting And the doctor came in, and he grabbed it, and he started looking again, and and there was silence, and it was just too much to bear. And so I said, doctor, what is going on? And he looked up, and he smiled, and he said, well, there's not just one baby, but there are two. You're going to have twins. And we were so young and naive, we were just on top of the world. But I remember... I remember we would see people, and we would share the news, and we would say, we're having twins. And they would respond the same way. They would say, oh, God bless you. (laughs) And I thought they really meant it until June came along and we had Mason and Maddox and we brought them home and then I totally understood what they meant when they said, God bless you. Uh, That entire year, I don't remember it. I, I don't know what took place. I don't know what happened. The whole thing is a blur. We were, the boys were, were premature, they were, they were small, and so we had to feed them every three hours. And so all through the night, we'd wake up and we'd feed them. We had a little pack and play beside the bed, and so we would take turns. And one night, it was my turn for the two o'clock feeding. I was exhausted, but I remember I woke up and I, I got one of them, didn't know who it was, didn't care, just picked the baby up. And, <laughs> and I got a bottle and I was, I was trying to, to feed, but, but I dozed off. Next thing I know is Brittany's pushing on me, and she says, what are you doing? And I said, shh, I'm feeding the baby. And, and she jumped up, and she said, Case, you're holding a pillow. There's not a baby in your arms. And so I jumped up, and I, I threw the blankets, and I'm looking for the baby. And she said, shh, they're asleep, you big dummy. They're right here. I had, I had unbeknownst to me, rocked and fed a pillow instead of... A baby. But here's the point. The point is that a baby changes everything. And over 2,000 years ago, there was a baby born that would change the course of humanity forever. And so how do we live our life as men and women and be characterized by wisdom? Matthew chapter 2 is the story of the wise men. And, and there's a lot of, 
a lot of just uh, speculation around this passage. A lot of things we get out of songs and uh, scenes we see in front yards and that does not necessarily make it true. But rather than speculating, I want us to just focus on the Word of God this morning and see what He has for us. Because I want you to see that their journey, the journey of the wise men to Jesus, reveals important steps that we must take in order to be wise. And so let's read together Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. If you would stand with me in honor of the powerful, all-sufficient Word of God. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." And then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to plate to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way." Go ahead and you may be seated. <clears throat> How are we to be wise, especially this Christmas season? I'm afraid that for many of us, even many of us in the church, the way that we operate around Christmas has very little to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Many of us in our homes, we are all excited about Santa Claus. And maybe we have the elf on the shelf that comes in and brings mischief while we sleep. Or we put up a Christmas tree and we have Christmas lights all around and we have a tradition to where we drive down the road and we look at all the beautiful sights around us. But what kind of importance does Jesus have in your Christmas tradition? If we're going to be wise, there are some decisions that we must make. Number one, I want you to notice that wise guys are focused. Wise guys are focused. They said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it arose. It's interesting to note because in Luke chapter 2, we find the shepherds and they receive a message. Their message is this, fear not, for behold, I bring you good, no good news of great joy. That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
The wise men, they received no angel from heaven. They received no wake-up call in the middle of the night. They received no host proclaiming the good news. So how did the wise men know that Jesus had been born? There was no baby announcement in the newspaper. There was no photo on Facebook that was going viral. But I want to report to you that they knew because they were searching diligently. They were focused and they were searching because they knew that the Messiah was to come. And so one day they went out like they had the previous day and they looked up into the sky and they noticed there is a star that was not there the previous night. As they looked up into the sky, they saw a star that was brighter than all the other stars. And when they saw this, something in their mind, something in their heart clicked and they begin to go back to some of these Old Testament passages. Even though they were from the east, there must have been a strong presence of the people of God because they knew the Old Testament. And so they probably thought back to Numbers chapter 24 where it says, A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Or Isaiah 60 verse 3, it says, And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. And so when these men looked up and they saw this star, they knew it was important. They knew that the king of the Jews had been born. Here's what I think about, though. The star this night was not only visible to the wise men, but it seems as though the wise men are the only ones who saw the star. It tells me that they were looking for Jesus. They were looking for the Messiah. They knew that one was to come who would, as Isaiah 7 says, will be conceived of a virgin and his name will be Emmanuel. They knew from Isaiah 9 that he is a wonderful, mighty counselor, everlasting father, prince of peace. They knew from Isaiah 53 that he will bear our griefs and our transgressions. He will carry our sorrows, that he will be pierced for our iniquities and crushed. They knew that his wounds would heal us and bring salvation. And so when they looked that night, they knew that something incredible was happening right before them. But here's what I want you to understand. The king of kings had been born, the Messiah, the Lord of lords, God in the flesh, who comes to bring salvation to the world. But most people went on as usual. The biggest event in history has taken place, but most of the world did not care. Why? Maybe they had emails that they needed to write. Maybe they had appointments to keep. Maybe they were staring down at their tablets and they never thought to look up. Maybe they were concerned about the stock market of the day. Maybe there was this controversy in politics and so they were watching to see what might take place maybe there was infectious disease and they were trying to figure out should I wear a mask or should I not wear a mask and there's all this stuff going on all around them but they don't stop to look up Jesus is born and most people have missed it the most amazing day in human history but they go on just like normal and you say case that is a shame it's a shame that there are so many lost people who totally miss the significance of christmas but there are so many religious 
church folks who do the exact same thing. And if we're honest, we're a whole lot more excited about Santa Claus and about presents and about gatherings and about all the Christmas stuff than we are about Jesus. Let me, let me show you. It's not just the lost, it's the religious. Look at verse 3. Matthew chapter 2, look at verse 3. It says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Let me just tell you a little bit about Herod. Herod was a bad dude, okay? Here's what I mean. Herod was so concerned with his kingdom that he would kill anything that threatened his kingdom. The saying of the day was, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. Do you know why? Herod had two of his sons killed. Because he believed that they would fight him one day for his kingdom. And so he killed his sons. Herod had his own wife killed. Herod was so messed up that as he neared the end of his life, and he knew he was sick, he knew he was going to die soon, he went through the city and he had prominent men and women accused on false charges, brought them in and put them in prison. And he gave orders that on the day of his death, all of these men and women should be killed. When asked why, this was his response. I want the day of my death to be marked by great mourning, weeping, and sorrow. And I know that nobody's going to cry on my behalf, but I want weeping nonetheless. That is how messed up and how crazy this man is. So he hears this. He hears that this king of the Jews has been uh, born, and he's upset about it, the Bible says. And so he assembles together the religious. The verse says he assembles the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where the Christ is to be born. You're the expert. You're the religious. Where is the Christ to be born? And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet. And they go on to quote Micah 5.2. So here's a group of, of men. They are the most knowledgeable. They know all the answers. They know all the Bible stories. They can quote Micah 5-2. They know the place that Jesus is to be born, but they could honestly not care less. The wise men will travel upwards of a thousand miles to find Jesus. From Jerusalem to Bethlehem, it's about five miles. These men are about five miles from Bethlehem, but they will not walk immediately five miles to check this out. Do you know why? They don't care. They don't care about Jesus. They don't care about the Messiah. They're so busy, and they feel good because they know the Bible stories. They know the scriptures, but their heart is so far from God. And it could be that even in this room this morning, we've got some folks, and you know every Christmas story that could be preached. There's nothing that could surprise you. You've got so many verses memorized. You've been to so many Bible studies, and you have sung so many songs. But if you're honest, you could care less about Jesus in this moment. That's what we see with these, with these wise men. They're not focused on Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Keep your eyes on Jesus. What happens when you don't? Do you remember Peter when he's walking on the water? Everything's going great until he does what? 
Billy took his eyes off Jesus. When he takes his eyes off Jesus, he begins to fall. We've got to be men and women who are focused. We've got to focus on Jesus if we want to be wise in our lives. So number one, we must be focused. Number two, if we're going to be wise, we must be faithful. Wise guys are faithful. What would prompt someone to leave the comfort of their home and to go on a dangerous journey? They say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They're looking for this Messiah. They're looking for the baby who has been born. They have seen the star. They had seen the evidence. Now they want to know, where is he? They had faith. He's alive. I know he exists. The Bible points to this day, and I've got to go, and I've got to see him. I want you to notice they were willing to risk everything to find this king. Everything in their life, they were willing to risk it. They're willing to leave the safety of their home to risk a perilous journey to seek him. And I can just picture it like this. I can picture that the next day they're outside, they're packing the donkey up, and a neighbor comes up and says, hey, you going on a trip? And he said, well, yep, we sure are. And then the neighbor says, where are you going? Well, we don't, we don't really know yet. And then he says, well, how long are you going to be going for well, we don't really know that either. Well, how far is this trip going to take you? Well, we don't, we don't really know. And I would imagine the neighbor kind of scratches his head and he walks off and he says, boy, for a bunch of wise men, you don't seem so wise to me. It, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense what they are doing. But they must have said the same thing about Abram when he left his home and he goes out on this journey following the command of God. They must have said the same thing about Noah when he begins to build this ark even though there is no rain in the forecast, but he keeps building. They must have said the same thing about Peter, Andrew, James, and John when they cast their nets down and they begin to follow this Jesus man. It doesn't make sense. What is wrong with you? Are you crazy? Are you insane? Are you out of your mind? No, not crazy, not insane, not out of my mind, simply a man of faith. What if it could be said of us that I am a man of faith and the world sees it? What if when someone looks at you, they would say, that is a woman of faith. It doesn't make sense. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I can see their faith by the way that they live their life. Here's a fact for you this morning. God's journey always requires faith. God's journey always requires faith. Hebrews 11:6 6, 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Where there's no faith, there's no power, there's no joy, there's no intimacy with God. There are also no supernatural miracles, no reward, and ultimately, there is no pleasing God. Without faith, you end up with hollow religious activity, moralistic rules, and dead orthodox. And the reason a lot of our faith is dead is because, listen, we can run all the programs. We can run all the church activities. We can talk about God, but it's just religious activities and rules without the presence of God. And there's no sense that God is actually moving in our lives. You can be a spiritual leader, you can be a Sunday school teacher, you can sing in the choir, you can be a pastor or a preacher, and you can do all these things without faith. 
You can be a good moral person doing exactly what's expected out of you. You can be reading your Bible and praying on a regular basis, but you can do all these things apart from faith. And listen, if there's no faith in my life and if there's no faith in your life, then we are not pleasing to God. If there is no faith in the body of believers at Woodland Hills Baptist Church, it does not matter how many events we carry out. It does not matter how many activities we take part in. We are not pleasing to God. Think back in your Bible. Think of the men and women, and you will see that every individual that pleased God was willing to step out in faith. Peter had to have faith or he was going to fall in the water. Paul had to have faith or he was going to die. Esther was going to be killed at the hand of an angry king. David was going to lose his head to the giant. Daniel was going to be lunched to the lions. The Israelites were going to drown in the Red Sea, but they stepped out in faith. And what happened? God showed up. Every time God shows up, God is looking. This morning, he's looking for men and women who will step out, who will follow him, who will possess a strong faith. Start in Matthew, look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you will find that when Jesus gets upset with his disciples, when he gets upset with the ones who are following him, it's because they lack faith. Time and time again, where is your faith? Oh, you of little faith. What is faith? Faith is simply doing what God tells you to do regardless of the circumstances because God said it and his words are true. God tells you to do it and so regardless of how you feel, regardless of the circumstances, you do it because you trust God. The reason that God uses some people and not others is not because they have less baggage than you have, but it's because they have stepped out in faith. Where is God asking you to step out in faith? Where are you getting out of your comfort zone? Maybe God says, I want you to teach this class. I want you to sing in the choir. I want you to witness to this coworker. I want you to serve this brother or this sister. I want you to do something for my kingdom. And then we have a choice. Am I going to be obedient or am I going to stay in my comfort zone and do what I want to do? These men are driven by faith. And this journey took them around a thousand miles. Day after day after day after day traveling because they saw this star and they knew it was important, and they knew it was worth it. Number three, I want you to see this. Wise guys fall down. Wise guys fall down. Verse 2, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now look at verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And then opening their treasuries, they offered him gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. When the wise men came on the journey, the purpose was to find the king and to worship him. They did not come to Jesus because of who they are, but they came to Jesus because of who he is. It was all about Jesus. It was not about them. And for many of us, we're living in a world and we think it's all about us. 
and we will serve and we will attend and we will do everything as long as it fits our schedule. As long as it's the songs I want to sing, then I'll sing. As long as I approve of it, then I will be a part of it. Can I just give you a reality check this morning? It's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. This is not about us. It's not about trying to please you. It's not about trying to make sure that this service meets all your boxes. This is about being faithful to what the Lord has called us to be so that when we leave this place, we can be more on fire for him. The simple question is this, what priority does Jesus have in your life? They come to worship. They put in the sacrifice. Worship always involves sacrifice. See, for some of us, this is what we think. My worship is coming on a Sunday morning, and for about 30 minutes, I sing a few songs, and that's my worship. If that's worship to you, if that's all that your worship is, then you have totally missed the truth from the Word of God. Worship is so much more than singing a song. Worship involves sacrifice. It's shown by this journey. And they come in and they bring these gifts. Gold, because he is the king. Frankincense, because he is, he is God, he is deity. Myrrh, which signifies the death that he's going to die. And so they bring these costly gifts. The Bible says, I will not give a gift that costs me nothing. What is the ultimate sacrifice of worship? It's our life. It's our life. It's giving to Jesus all that we are. That's why Romans says this. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What is your worship? To present your body as a sacrifice. The songs, that's awesome. The giving of your money, that's great. That's all a part of worship. But your life that's where the worship comes in, to wake up and to say, Lord, this is mine, and all that I am belongs to you. You are my king. You are my Lord. You are my master, and I'm going to serve you with all that I am today. I'm not talking about a compartment that we give God on Sunday maybe Wednesday. I'm not talking about a little bit of time chiseled out of our week. I'm talking about living each and every day, asking God what he wants out of our life. That's what he's looking for. Do you know the first time that the, first time that the word sacrifice, man, this place is going to go crazy in a minute. Y'all see that? I don't know what's going to happen. Where was I? I don't even remember. Do you know the first time that the word worship is used in our Bible? first time the word worship is used in our Bible is when we see that Abraham is taking his son Isaac and they're going up that mountain and he's going to to sacrifice the thing that means the very most to him and this is what Abraham says he says we will go and we will worship you know what worship is worship is giving your very best to God worship is not leftovers Worship is not giving God what remains. Worship is when we come to the Lord and we are in such awe of him and we are blown away by who he is. And so we say, Lord, I'm giving it all to you because you're worthy of so much. True worship requires sacrifice. What God wants most of all out of you is not what you have to give, not what you have to offer, but he simply wants you. 
What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love God with everything you are. You know what that is? That's worship. When people can look at your life and they can see the way that you live and they can say, oh, Wes loves God and I know it. I see it. I see it by the way he treats others. I see it by the smile on his face. I see it by the joy in his heart. I see that he is living for God. The last thing, we're doing good. The last thing is this, wise guys are changed. Now we had, we had four F's, alliteration, but on this one we just have a C. Wise guys are focused. Wise guys fall down. Wise, but then we get to wise guys are changed. Look at the verse. It says, in being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, I don't want you to miss the context of this. They changed direction because Herod was intent on killing the newborn king. But I think the truth remains in the scripture that once we meet Jesus, we should never be the same. There should be a change in us because we have met Jesus. Jacob, he wrestled with God, and he never walked the same again in his life. Isaiah stepped into the presence of God, and this is what he said. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Time and time again, we see the reality that when we meet Jesus, it changes us, and we are never the same again. 2 Corinthians says it like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The question is, how has your life changed since you met the Messiah? What's different in your life? since you surrendered to Jesus. How has your life changed? We began and we said a baby changes everything. How has he changed your life? I want to close with just an illustration. You've heard it before. I've said it before, but it drives this point home so well. <clears throat> Let's pretend that this morning, Brother Aaron gets up and he's leading and the song service is going wonderful. The Irwins are doing great. Everything is just fantastic. But you begin to look at your watch and you notice that it's time to preach. And you know that I'm the one preaching this morning and, and I'm not here. And so Brother Aaron is looking at his watch and I'm still not here. And so he keeps singing and we have an extra song and then another extra song, and the song service keeps going until finally I come in that back door and I, I run down to the front and I say, it's okay, I'm here, I'm here, I'm ready to preach. And so I, I come to the pulpit and I get ready to preach. And about that moment, Brother Charles stands up and he says, Case, we've been waiting on you. Who do you think you are? How can you keep us waiting like this? And I say, well, Brother Charles, let me just explain it to you. I got up this morning and I was driving here to the church. And I was driving to the church, and all of a sudden, I heard a noise, and it went ba-dump, 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 ba-dump. And I realized that I had a flat tire. 
And so, Brother Charles, I pulled over real quickly, and I got my jack out, and I jacked my vehicle up, and I started to loosen my lug nuts. And when I did, one of those lug nuts fell away, and it went right into the highway, right into Loop 281. I knew that you guys would be waiting, and so I wasted no time. I darted to the middle of the highway, and I picked up that lug nut, and as soon as I did, I stood up, and there was a log truck that was coming right my direction. I didn't have time to move left. I didn't have time to move right, so I braced myself, and that log truck ran me over. Now, if you heard that story, you would come to one of two conclusions. Number one, I'm just crazy. Number two, I'm a liar. One of those two. Here's why. You cannot have an encounter with something as large as a log truck and look the same. I want to tell you this right now. You cannot have an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ and look the same. There is no way that our life will not be changed. And so if we believe that we can add Jesus and go on the same, you're reading a different Bible than I'm reading. I read of men and women who are changed. I read of men and women who come to Jesus and their life is never the same again. And so again, I ask you the question, how has your life changed since you met Jesus? Let me ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to think about these points we've mentioned. If we're going to be wise, if I'm going to be a wise man, if you're going to be a wise woman, especially in this Christmas season, there are choices that we must make. Number one, we must be focused on Jesus. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We must be focused. If you're honest in your life, how focused are you on Jesus? You say, maybe that needs to change. Maybe you say, well, Case, I am so distracted. I'm running back and forth, and my job is stressing me out. And I have taken my eyes off of Jesus. And just like Peter, I feel like I'm falling right now. Number two, we see that to be wise, we've got to be faithful. We've got to be men and women of faith who will step out, who will go on the journey, who will do what God says to do simply because he said it in his word is true. I wonder in your life, what are you doing right now that depends upon faith? That God must show up or it's not going to work. What's God calling you to? Number three, they fell down and they worshiped. Are you giving God your very best? Or do you give God your leftovers? And lastly, they were changed forever. In your life, have you been changed? When people look at you, do they see a change? Do they see that you're different than you used to be? You're not perfect. You're not sinless. But you sure do sin less. There's a difference. They see the joy upon your heart. Lord, we thank you so much for this time. Thank you for each one of these who have come. Lord, I pray that you've challenged us. And Lord, I pray that we will be wise this Christmas season. I pray that we will respond to you as you lead us, God. Lord, we love you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Let me ask you, during this time of invitation, maybe you need to join a church. This would be a great one. Maybe you need to 